Hello and welcome to the Ghibli Rewatch series of the Overly Animated Podcast, where we'll be going through every Studio Ghibli movie chronologically from the beginning. Uh, I'm Dylan Heisen, and today I'm joined by Michelle Ander. Hello. And Alex Bonilla. Hey. Join us in rewatching or watching for the first time all the Studio Ghibli movies now that they're available for streaming for the first time. HBO Max in the United States, Netflix, most of the rest of the world. Uh, new Ghibli Rewatch podcast every Wednesdays. We go through the whole chronol- uh, the whole catalog. Find us at OverlyAnimated.com for all the ways to contact us. Um, I'm Ghibli expert. Be joined by co-hosts with a variety of Ghibli experience. And today we are getting to Whisper of the Heart. Very exciting. Um, talk about introduce this movie in a second. Talk about why it's special to many of us. Um, full spoilers for this movie, Whisper of the Heart. Um, only vague spoilers for the rest of the Ghibli catalog. We'll be talking about... Um, both the sub and the dub, especially for this movie. So whichever you've seen, that is fine. Okay. Uh, Whisper of the Heart. Very excited to finally get to this one. 1995 now, as we've gone, uh, through a, a fair amount of time, uh, in the, the Ghibli catalog here. This movie is direct, was directed by Yoshifumi Kondo. Uh, the first feature length, not, uh, directed by one of the, two uh, main Ghibli directors, but it was written and storyboarded by uh, Hayao Miyazaki. Um, so as I've come to understand, one of Miyazaki's main duties as director um, kind of imposed upon himself is to do every single storyboard for his movies. So it seems like he, oh, did, wow. he did that for Whisper and just uh, like kind of did the first half of the process in my mind is how it kind of worked. And then um, I'm sure Kondo was involved with the entire process, but he did his kind of normal beginning and then handed off. He also like goes over every single frame of animation and uh, issues issues corrections on them. So I guess he did not would not do that here. Not directing it. Um, this this was uh, Whisper. It's based on a manga by Ao Hiragi. Um, uh, Kondo was uh, yeah. You, you'll see the slot is like Kondo was like supposed to be the successor to uh, Miyazaki and Takahata. He, if you look at his credits, he worked on a lot of their earlier movies, even pre Ghibli, doing um, animation on them, um, like way, like way back before uh, Studio Ghibli even started, and including many movies in Studio Ghibli. Um, however, he died a few years after this movie came out in 1998. Um, died pretty young, um, and uh, he he did do animation on uh, Mononoke, the next movie too. Um, so, uh, it was, and, you know, this is, uh, I think a big event in Studio Ghibli's history in Miyazaki. Um, it's like, I'm gonna retire after this, cause, uh. <laughs> <laughs> is that where that started? Was it this? The, like, we, right we've after? said this before. The first retirement was after Kiki when he's oh, like, I did too. And this is him. I mean, he didn't really retire. He just thought about it. Um, <laughs> this though, it was his like first real retirement, I think, or maybe he only thought about it, cause uh, they, they diagnosed Kondo's like dying from overwork, which it's not like a medical condition, but yeah, like it's definitely, it's like Miyazaki's like, Hey, maybe I shouldn't be working so, uh, so hard. Um, so it, things kind of start to change after this. Um, uh, Whisper, uh, we're firmly, Ghibli, firmly popular in Japan. This was another big success in the top domestic grossing film in Japan in 1995. Um, this is a slice of life coming of age story about 14 year old Shizuku in suburban Japan. This is my favorite movie. Um, and also Rebecca Sugar's favorite movie, creator of Student Universe. We'll reference Rebecca Sugar. Um, I wish she had some good quotes on the movie throughout. So, um, let's talk about Whisper of the Heart. What's your history with this movie? And what do you think of it, Michelle? 
So this one I did get to see when I wanted to. Um, I think after after I saw Castle in the Sky, I started more aggressively looking for movies. And this, along with Nausicaa, I think were the first two I found. Just purely probably because they were the most popular um, <laughs> and, and the most less obscure um, of the Ghibli canon. And I absolutely loved it. I, I hadn't been one much for Slice of Life in general, but I think this one really, really worked because this movie seems all about just like finding the extraordinary in the everyday and just kind of like thinking about the limitless possibilities of, you know, your future and what you want to make of your life. Like it's very empowering in that sort of way. Um, And I feel like just the way they kind of lovingly frame her town is just like, really beautiful even though it's very industrial um is pretty pretty nice and i feel like it's kind of a big part of the movie too in its own way uh and plus like shizuku is just like such a great character i think her along with like kiki they're just such very realized holistic people with a very wide range of emotions and i feel like that makes you instantly connect to her um right away um and she's very endearing for that too yeah um okay yeah michelle I've, I've i've heard you you love this movie you've talked about it before michelle um so it's exciting to to get to it and to finally talk about whisper alex um newer to a lot of these movies what do you think of whisper the heart yeah so this is one of the few ones that i watched before this rewatch i i caught this uh last year when and, uh, in the in the Fathom Events uh, tour of 2019, so I watched the one that had the Rebecca Sugar intro before it, so that kind of like prepped me for it. And I, I watched it, and I was blow, blown away by it at the time. I, I pulled up my initial tweet review, which was. I think Whisper of the Heart is my ideal rom-com. Not overloaded with humor, but staying light. Drama, but as low stakes as possible. Focus on self-realization of purpose while keeping the falling in love part in the background. But the love story is cute, and it's just pretty as heck. And I think that really holds up. <laughs> okay, reading <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm your rewatch. tweet on that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, I mean I, like, you know, that was my thought coming out of the theater. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm a, I have a year of... Uh, of life experience on me i rewatch, and it's still really great and like i uh, obviously like uh through through this series i've leaned more towards the the action oriented uh um ghibli stuff like cagliostra and nausicaa but i think that of the of the slice of life stuff whisper of the heart like re- uh, is the one that's been most effective to me so far in this rewatch and uh, i i doubt that any, any of the future movies are going to are going to quite get there just because like it does it does hit so many um like it, it manages to build this uh, this romance through the through the movie but not in a, in such a heavy-handed way as many other romances would do and like it focuses on like the of uh, the main character shizuku fi- uh, finding herself like fi- like finding like how she wants to you know, uh, get her uh, like express her creativity and like work through that so like it's more it's more about her specifically than anything else and that really helps the, the movie to to move forward and also like it, it's it's really in love with the city which is something that we haven't really got in ghibli like it's always na- nature stuff but like this is a 
Pompoko had a little bit of this with, with like the city scenes, uh, but like Whisper of the Heart just like really like puts you in that environment. It's like, man, I, I would love to live in a place like that. Like uh, it, it's, it, it really works well in terms of being escapist as well, while not being uh, the, the fantasy that Miyazaki lo- loves to work in. So just a, well, a Whisper of the Heart is still like really, really fun to, to watch. And I, I think that there's a lot of different stuff though, that we can talk about in it too that like specifically uh, hit, hits me well. But yeah, I, I loved rewatching this movie. Uh, that's great. I think I think Kiki uh, the comparison in terms of this display of the city, although you know, like a fictional but, European city. Yeah, and, and that's more like Japan. old style city, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. steampunky. To, yeah, um, yeah. So, Whisper of the Heart. Uh, this is this is like my favorite movie of any movie ever. Um, I felt this way since I first watched this movie when I was you know about thirteen or fourteen. Um, and you know, really fell in love with it. Really fell in love with all the Ghibli movies. This one's always. Um, been my type of movie i i mean it, it kind of makes sense i'm i'm of the animes i watch i uh am into the slice of life ones uh but this is like the epitome of what what you can get out of kind of more slice of life realistic stories and um this movie is just so incredibly enchanting um and i think it stands out to me on this rewatch how um, how magical it is, despite there being a limited amount of fantasy scenes. And it's like the, the fantasy scenes are magical too, but they're like pretty separate. And I think this, this movie's just the magical display of the real world is pretty unparalleled from, from anything I've seen. Um, Shizuku, uh, is an incredible character. Um, I think my favorite character ever. Uh, I always just love her every, in every single scene. Um, she stands out to me as just so emotive, um, in these, these rewatches. Um, I, uh, I've like, with Whisper, I mean, in terms of this being my favorite movie, I, I'd say I've probably seen this movie 15 times. Um, I watched it like, nice. like twice recently for this. Uh, I've most, <laughs> mostly the dub, um, interestingly, because when yeah, I was same. a lot younger, um, and Same, a lot yeah. of thoughts on the dub. We'll talk about the dub because it is <laughs> one of the most notable dubs, I think, of all the in good and bad ways. Um, and uh, I, you know, I've I've definitely been trying to focus on watching the the sub one to be more familiar with it because it is it is fairly different. Um, and uh, it's uh, I mean, there, there's like all these all these kind of qualities. I think the, the romance is great. It's like not even the most important part of the movie, but it, it's uh, that's it's, what makes it great. <laughs> okay, I think uh, romances could be fo- focused upon and be special. And this movie is just, uh, you know, like I think like is this a romance coming of age movie? I mean, it's more I think it's more about Shizuku's journey herself. Um, rather than the romance is, is kind of like a framing for the movie. Um, this is, uh, the, the use, the, the use of music in this movie, uh, the display of Tokyo, um, which, uh, I don't know, I'll say I had a, you know, even on the, uh, like, four, th- 14th viewing or whatever, I had to learn something new about this movie because of the Ghibli rewatch series that we've been focusing on in relation to other movies. So I'll talk about that when we get to kind of the setting of the movie. But I think there's so much here. I also want to say this is probably the, I think it's one of the most gorgeously animated movies ever made. Um, and it, the display of that 
in just a real life setting again i think is is incredible um yeah the, the animation it's it's pretty unparalleled here i mean we talked about it for pompoko and other takahata movies in terms of different animation styles this movie does does do different animation styles in terms of the fantasy sequences but even in terms of sticking with its one style is uh it's 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 remarkable in in the the visual displays and that's something that um is really special to me recently movies that really stand out visually so uh gonna excited to get into a lot of aspects of a whisper of the heart here um i think like uh the two the two i feel like the two main topics for me i mean there's a few at the top to talk about but shizuku herself and then also just like the the magicalness of real japan i think are interesting ones um but we, we can talk about shizuku i think to start with um I think Shizuku is one of Ghibli's best leads, in in my opinion. Um, I think Kiki, I, Michelle mentioned Kiki. I think it's an it's an interesting comparison. Um, Shizuku, uh, I was focusing on this a lot more on these rewatches. She just she's probably the most emotive character I've ever seen. Um, she she's great uh, reactions to everything, and just in a really like realistic way, though. Um, she's like very much a um a, a, a version of the normal modern anime kind of like a genki girl like the the enthusiastic heroine but she's not like peppy over the top peppy like modern anime characters are she's just very grounded in in everything she's feeling and uh, the way she is i think she's also just like very dramatic in her reactions to everything um great kind of aspect of a of a main character i uh, i think and um her 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 uh, emotions reacting to the world around her is a big part of like what makes everything so magical. I think, um, Michelle, the thought the thoughts um, on, on Shizuku in general. I mean, I think I would agree with that. I think one of the things I noticed, and like like you, Dylan, I have seen this one probably the most of any Ghibli film outside of maybe Spirited Away because I actually had that one on DVD, and there's a really good reason. Like this is such a rewatchable movie and it never gets less interesting even though you know the story after the first time there's always new details you can pull from it and I think one thing that really struck me this time seeing it older I think I was maybe like 15 the first time I saw it so like not too much older than Shizuku as a character um and seeing it now it really struck me that like a lot of Shizuku's sense of wonder comes from the fact that she's so into reading. Like, her friends even tease her about that a couple times. Um, when she starts being interested in who, like, Amasawa is, she's like, wow, it's, like, so unlike her to be, like, interested in a boy. Like, unlike a lot of her friends who seem to be, you know, they're all around that age where they start thinking about boys. But it, it hasn't been on Shizuku's mind because she's she's such a reader. Like, that's where she finds her passion and that's where she spends her energy. She's just so devoted to these exciting like stories. And I think in a way that's kind of kept her imaginative, creative spirit alive and a way longer for her, maybe than a lot of her other friends. And I feel like that's exactly why, like, <laughs> you know, w when her love interest, like when he tries to, like when Seiji tries to find the way to her heart, he does it through books because he understands it's like, that's her everything and that's so smart because that is exactly how she starts to take notice of him it's because books are her world and i think that's a really lovely detail because like suzuku's like 
she's she's such a relatable person like you said like she has such a range of emotions but I also think it's lovely that like her reading is never actively discouraged not even by her parents and like we'll talk about her parents later probably and just like her home situation um but they're not a wealthy family and I feel like a lot of times especially if you like you're in like kind of a small home and you you know you're not like doing super like you're doing okay like you're getting by but like there's more pressure to like for your children to like get a good job you know um and her parents very seem to like you know they're, they're giving her the space to figure herself out and I feel like that's like and it, it really helps her figure out who she's going to be on her own terms and I feel like that's a really important part of the movie in terms of her story too yeah definitely like a, a movie of self-discovery um and uh Proving yourself, it's a big theme of the second half of the movie and a, a really important part, I think, of Shizuku's character and her arc. Alex, how do you, how do you, what do you think of Shizuku? Yeah, I, I, I especially like your description of uh, dramatic and lively because, like, that, that's, that's a big thing with Shizuku that she is, she does display a range of emotions, but it always feels believable. It never feels like too over the top. It never gets to a place where, like, that it, it becomes a uh, grading or, like, it, it results in, like, a, some manufactured conflict that, like, many romances have to recur to. Like, I, I think, I think of, like, the, the, the back and forth between Shizuku and Seiji. Like, obviously, she expresses her annoyance at, at, at Seiji in, in different c- circumstances, but she never, like, let, she never lets it get to the point where it's like, oh, well, I'm never talking to him again, or like uh, like other movies would. Like, you know, it's just like, it, it, they somehow make it feel like a very natural progression of, of like, getting to know each other until you, you get to that meeting point. Like, Michelle mentions, like, oh, they, they get together over books, and then later, like, it, it expands into, like, creativity, you know? So, like, uh, Sh- Shizuka is just, like, a very... She's a she's a funny character. She's a believable character. She's a very relatable character. So like, so definitely, she's one of the one of the best uh, um, best mains of of the Ghibli rewatch. Just in terms of like, for really being able to capture your attention for the for the entire movie with with such like a, a down to earth kind of story. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of like her being dramatic, um, it's not even something that pops just because of how well and realistically it's done. But I yeah. mean, like, uh, the, the scene of when, uh, her and, uh, Yuko go into the, the teacher's office and she like runs out upon hearing something about Seiji's like, <laughs> it's like, and everyone's just shocked. And it's like, Hey, you always, you always run out on things, Shizuku. Like, uh, she, she, <laughs> She really is um, crazy dramatic in all of her reactions, but it's so good. And it really, I think, captures a large quality of being a teenager. Um, I, I, I think of that scene where she's walking home. She's like, jerk, jerk, jerk. Yeah. And like, while she's like opening the refrigerator, it's like angrily pulling out a drink. A drink. So it's just, uh, yeah, so like she, she's just really good with, the, with uh, expressing how she's feeling. She gets she gets very focused on one thing that she feels very intensely until kind of something else comes up. I think that's a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, I think these are all like really uh, relatable qualities to a certain extent. I mean, I don't think any of us probably um, are are exactly like Shizuku in terms of how much or intensely or uh, we're feeling. But maybe we were at an earlier point, or maybe like we cap it captures a certain element of that. I think um, Shizuku is kind of like uh, all of our a recent trend in. Western animation is to have uh, a female lead about the age of Shizuku. I think they're all kind of versions of Shizuku in a way. 
Um, I, you know, you got all your, your Disney leads of your star and, uh, lose, um, all, all those sort of Kipo, all these sorts. I think they're all like kind of Shizuku versions. Um, obviously there's going to be some, some differences and, uh, some, uh, distinctive elements of each of them and they're all wonderful in their own way. Um, but, uh, I don't think any of them can really capture the, the, uh, emotiveness and, uh, the, some of these qualities that, that Shizuku displays in this movie. Um, and, uh, show i've uh i've uh we'll bring in start bringing a f- quotes from a few different places here here's one on uh on the movie in general and then a little bit on shizuku this is from studio ghibli the films of hayao mizaki and isao takata by colin odell and michelle leblanc um they say rather like only yesterday whisper the heart has the feel of a drama that barring a few short sequences could just as easily be served up as a live action film anime embraces a mm. far wider spectrum of genres than the more narrowly focused western cartoon model and whisper the heart's dense rich plotting and characterization would be difficult to realize so succinctly were the film not animated um, it's a challenging blend, the apparently laid back, uh, pacing, a uh, complete contrast to the runaway train of Shizuku's emotions. Um, <laughs> runaway train. I really like that last part because this movie is very slow at times. Um, which I think it's like a lot of, to a lot of people who kind of have no patience, this is like a negative in a movie. Um, not that it's necessarily a bad thing, but I, I mean, I kind of think you should try to have more patience with movies like this. But in the beginning of this movie, there's, 20 minute sequences where she's just walking through Tokyo. Um, and, but like, those are the best parts for me. Uh, but like, yeah, sure. Yeah, you it's might, so pretty. You, it's so pretty. It's so magical. But of course, you might get a little like bored or not as engaged if there was flashing colors and action and stuff. Like, of course. So like, that's probably a, a negative reaction some people might have to parts of this movie. But I also think it's like, okay, to, be not as intensely engaged in certain uh, aspects of this, you know, like hour 45, hour 50 minutes, a uh, pretty slowly paced film. And, and and I'd say that like compared to other sl- slice of life that, that moves slowly at the beginning, I think that Whisper the Heart, like what it does well is it uses that time to really get give you a feel for Shizuka and her existing friend uh friend sequence, her life, her her family. So like it's not it's not focusing on one single thing. It's like really like taking the time to show you like all different parts of her life before I'd say it begins picking up once we get to the store to the store. Since that's when you first feel like okay, like something like a story is beginning to happen here. But before then, like I think that it's, it's using it. It never stays on one thing for too long, and I think that's a very important part of of making a slice of life. You know, like keep your attention. Yeah, and something that stood out to me uh, more so on these rewatches is uh, it is not even until like the hour mark of the movie that the the plot of Shizuku writing her her novel kind of comes in. Like the, mm-hmm. Alex is right, there's a, a painstaking like time spent on setting up Shizuku's life and her character, and that's why I'm even hesitant to call this like Shizuku's like quest to prove herself like kind of the main plot of the movie. I'm not. I think it's just Shizuku's life in general. Like, like you know that 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 doesn't even come until halfway in. Well, I mean halfway though, right? So I feel like the first half's establishing the before how she sees her life, what her priorities or lack thereof are, and then the second half is really like that very intentional shift that seems like it might be like maybe the biggest shift she's ever going to have because now she knows she wants to be a writer 
And, you know, like, and again, like, the first half of the movie, she, she goes to the library a lot. She doesn't take her exams seriously, like, despite, like, what her teacher and her parents are concerned about. But, like, after writing her book, she confides into Seiji, like, you know, I, I really, like, I want to do what it takes to get into a good high school because I, I understand now that, like, to be a better writer, I need to have more of an education, like, there are so many pivotal shifts that she seems to undergo through the second half of the movie that juxtaposed to the first, like, you really do see, like, you know, she's becoming, like, a more idealized person, like, for herself, like, professionally, like, emotionally. Um, and, and it's such a contrast to who she is at the very beginning. So I feel like that the half and half is really important um, in terms of, like, what part of the movie you're at. Uh, and I, I definitely agree with Michelle that like the if you look at this movie as like the the story is self-realization, I think that covers the whole movie, not just the, the second half, because like yeah. also like it's important like that first half is important to be like, OK, like her identity right now is like she she reads books, she enjoys them. Uh, but at the same time, like she doesn't really have any like major responsibilities. She can just go off and wander, follow a cat for like 10 minutes and like nothing, yeah. nothing, nothing really going on, you know. But like once she realizes like, oh, like there's there's another creative person that I know and I would like to do the thing that I focus so much of my time on, which is which is books. I want to do that. And like, let me try that out. So like. I think that while while obviously like it's more in focus in the second half, but I, I think that 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 through line is present throughout the entire movie from the beginning. Yeah, that's basically what I was yeah. going to say. Is uh, is it's 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 not uh, just specifically like her writing her book. It's this broader um, her finding herself. It's her whole life. Yeah, it's it's like her, another it's, really another yeah. really good aspect is like her, so in her, in the beginning of the of the movie you we spend a lot of time with like like alex said like her just kind of like wandering around she she complains whatever she has to do like the smallest thing which again is very relatable she's the baby she's used to being taken care of and not having as much responsibility as her older sister and you see her older sister doing a lot the mom tells her sister like i i've been relying on you a lot and like she feels kind of bad about it even though that's just like how it's been but i soon as her sister moves out the implication is like someone's gonna have to pick up that slack and it's not gonna be the mom she's too busy with her full-time job it's gonna have to be shizuku so it's not just that she's writing a book and she understands what she wants to do now it's like she's gonna have to step up in a lot of ways in her life in a more mature kind of like pulling her weight sort of thing in the family too and i feel like that's like kind of you know <laughs> it's like everything it's not just the book even though that's very important to her personally yeah and her her mom i think going to school uh full-time or i'm not sure yeah. if she also has a job or something but i go i assume she the mom's like going back to school um i think yeah, her they, master's they, they, yeah they mentioned yeah. she's pursuing her master's yeah yeah that's kind of her her plot i guess but um yeah it's like um the, it's it's a vague coming of age theme like this is very much a coming of age movie but it's just her finding herself which ev all of us do kind of at this point in in our lives and um the way she ultimately comes up with this this finding of herself is to test her her test herself and test if this is like what she wants to do if she thinks she she has talent in this with writing um so it definitely really feels like a natural extension of 
what she's going through once the, the kind of the idea of the book comes up. Um, and, and it's kind of instigated by her finding her person and him already kind of like having <laughs> a, 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 sen- a, a sense of what he, he, a broader sense of self. At least it seems like that to us. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, it seems like he's already gone through this to a certain extent and, or at least is in the process of going through it with a more clearly defined goal. And so it's, it, it's like she, she, uh, fits it, that fits into kind of where she is. And I think that's a big reason why she connects with Seiji too so much. Yeah. Um, definitely yeah, fits she, into where she is in life. Yeah. She sees that like he's going to go test himself in this case by going to Italy to like see if he had, uh, if he has like the chops to keep going uh, on that journey. And she's inspired by that. And like, so that's part of why like I love their relationship because like it feels very based on just like rooting for each other to like a bit like be uh, like continue to push yourself creatively and that just feels like a very wholesome way to be to base a relationship you know like wanting to wanting to e- each other to succeed you know and uh, and wanting to be there to help like uh, I mean I wish there was a little bit more but like Seiji like mentions when he comes back at them like I wish I could have been there to help and she's because like well you inspired me so like that's something but like just like that idea of like they, they like want to help each other move move forward like that that feels uh, that feels very 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 nice and helps the the romance by the end feel like uh, if you feel worth rooting for because it's based in that in like the, the both their searches for um how, how far they can go in the, in their uh, creative careers it's uh, nice, too, that, like, Seiji, he provides that kind of drive in a way that I don't think she has anyone else in her life actively that does that. Because she asked her sister at one point, like, what do you want to do? And her sister says, like, well, I'm in college. Like, that's why I'm I'm there to figure that out, which implies she doesn't really know yet either. So I can see why, like, for her, like, Seiji, like, he's he's so young, He's like her age. He's like 14. And he, he has such a clear idea of what he wants to do. And he's so driven by that. And I feel like that's what's so attractive about it. It's like, oh, my gosh, this kid's like so excited to do this like amazing thing. And he also is like very critical of himself, but to in a, a desire to like not put himself down, but because he wants to be that much better. He wants to be as good as he possibly can be. And I feel like that's a thing that's very inspiring, too, for Shizuku. Yeah, I think the thing that really, really draws Shizuku to Seiji ultimately when, uh, other than like the, the, they, there's this whole preamble, I think, to before they start actually like talking like human beings, but, uh, like, it's just, just, <laughs> yes. just seeing his, uh, his work and, uh, like, uh, him talk about, uh, his, his work with the violin making and the violin playing and that whole conversation they have for the first time. And you can kind of see that mm-hmm. that's really connecting with her. Um, just in general, like this, this, the romance that with them being based entirely upon, um, them encouraging each other, them, uh, doing, uh, working hard and inspiring each other to work hard. This is like the most Miyazakian romance. It's also very Japanese in general, the encouraging each other type of quality. I think that resonates probably more with, with more knowledge of Japanese culture, but, um, the, uh, yeah, just, this is like very obviously Miyazaki's, uh, written, wrote this romance, uh, entirely based on, um, finding someone in order to inspire you to, 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 to further your drive and further, further your accomplishments and stuff. Um, I think it f- fits in with these conversations we've, we've had about uh, who Miyazaki is as a person. 
Um, but uh, the, the, the we can talk about continue to talk about this uh, Shizuku uh, her her proving herself and then also like the romance kind of in, I think they're all intertwined. But um, a lot of uh, a lot here about this. Um, Shizuku and her writing her book and kind of a lot of the artistic process is kind of a big theme of the movie. Um, just like th- this, this movie's display of art and people who do art and people who make art. It's the entire movie. Um, a lot of people, a lot, of, a lot to say on this, including Rebecca Sugar. Um, we talk a lot about Steven Universe on the broader overly animated podcast, Rebecca Sugar, the creator of that. She, Alex mentioned she did the introduction to the film for the Ghibli Fest. Um, last year, and that's on YouTube. That'll be in the podcast notes. There's, but we'll basically just quote the whole thing. So, um, she, Rebecca Sugar starts off by saying, What I find so fascinating about this film is the way it talks about developing your artistic voice. While there's little talk about talent, the focus is really on craftsmanship, on study and introspection and trial and error. And while every moment of the story isn't necessarily about that, every moment of the film is because you're watching this the result of artists that have truly mastered their craft. Um, so I think Rebecca, like, talks a lot about connecting with this movie in terms of how it's displaying. Um, people finding finding themselves uh, artistically, that she says, their artistic voice. Um, I think that's like a really uh, appealing part of this movie to a lot of people. A really incredible part of the movie, especially into the second half. Yeah, um, and and there's the, there's the metaphor of the of the rock with the the jewel inside. That's like mm-hmm. very like on the very to, to the point. But you know, like it 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 really reflects like this movie's view uh, on on our artistic. Uh, um, prowess where it's like maybe there's something at the at the middle there but you do need to do a lot of work to uncover it and like that's like a bit a big thing for for shizuku right like that that first draft that she does like she's immediately like no no it's terrible i know the second half is all but like so the 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 grandpa has has to be like hey like you know like the that that's fine you you can like just keep working at it and that will slowly improve you know so like and that that's that's a struggle that every person who tries to do something creative has to come with it at some point where you're like i like this thing and i want to try making a thing like that oh wait i'm not that good at it right now this looks awful and like the the how how you get past that initial mental hurdle to be like okay i need to like keep push pushing at it so i i think that this movie uh, portrays that uh, that uh that initial struggle in shizuku very well yeah, and it, it talks about like, um, like, uh, the, the, the mentality behind kind of like making art and starting to make art, um, which I feel like is a very unique kind of voice that this movie has. Um, and, it, and it's like telling it through these young people, which I think really, really fits. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just trying to figure out if this is something you're good at, if this is something that is, is really inspiring for you. Um, and Shizuku going through that whole process, I think is really incredible. Um, Rebecca also talks about how um, characters in the movie are connected by pieces of art. Um, you know, like I think it's like the the foundation of of the main romance is them each having their own artistic pursuits and inspiring each other through that. There is something revolutionary about uh, this the t- the two main characters them and them both being um, their main drive is is for the making of art. Um, I mean, I don't think y'all. You know, in, in a world where I think a lot of art is, is sometimes emphasized as less important. Um, I think this movie is, uh, is, makes it paramount in, in everything that's happening. The, the pursuit of art and young people. Um, here's another quote on kind of this movie's, uh, 
display of the artistic process again from Colin O'Dell and Michelle LeBlanc. They say in many ways, Wish Florida is the, is the most introspective of Ghibli's films in that it looks at the process of creativity and artistry rather than concentrating on the results of those endeavors. The film returns to a key image, a woodcut illustration of a violin maker locked in a prison cell practicing his trade, showing the pull between the need to create and the self-imposed prison that this creativity demands. Art reflects life, but also embellishes it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, 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 the pe- focusing on the people, the process of like making art and the people who make art and the emotions behind that. I think it's, it's, it's a really incredible aspect of the movie. And by the way, I think Miyazaki's son made that uh woodcut illustration of the violin maker that we see uh, twice throughout the movie. The, so the one that isn't the filmmaker, point? right? Um, the yeah not yeah not not the the one who will direct other movies i'm not sure how old he was <laughs> interesting um, yeah not the the other director but not uh, yeah goro. not goro yeah exactly but uh, uh yeah, i they, wonder what he thinks about it like yeah i don't want to make movies i just want to make wood he's like as long as one of my sons carries my legacy i don't care which <laughs> no, one. no 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 we'll get to this <laughs> when we start talking about goro miyazaki is not into goro making movies so we'll get we'll talk oh, about wait, that what? Also, maybe he he likes the woodworker more. You think that's it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> they have a man. strained relationship, which we will talk about. Yes. Oh. oh. Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah. So the the, the, the art, everything about the artistic process, I think it's it's so beautiful. Um, this, uh, yeah, Shizuku and Seiji and and their romance. Um, yeah, Michelle mentioned the. Uh, I loved that point earlier about how the way Seiji gets Shizuku's attention in the beginning is by checking out books before, like she reads them, uh, and it's it's very it's a very just like great sequence of events. That's kind of one of the first things we see in the movie is her just being like fascinated by who this person is that's read all these books before, and then we learn later like he he already liked her, and uh, that was him trying to get her attention. Um, and you're right, it's a very Shizuku way of of trying to do that. Um, but uh, they have, they have uh, it is it's an understated relationship. They have a few great scenes. I think definitely them talking about uh, Seiji's violin making, leading into them uh, playing together, and then uh, the the his, his Seiji's grandpa and his friends coming down and playing with them in what I think is like one of the most beautiful and magical scenes in the movie. Um, and um, but- uh, yeah. Uh, an underrated part of this is also like the like the first half is Seiji like not really being sure how to like flirt with Shizuku, so he like kind of goes for like the sort of mean route, kind of negging. He was negging her. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, <laughs> negging. I, I never realized right. this until this rewatch that what he was doing was negging, like right. textbook like, negging, and I was like, oh no, this is not good. No wonder she's but, so mad. But but what's important is that a- after those first couple of of missteps, like later he he like figures out like she's isn't responding to us like well look I, I like and then he turns to being like you know like a- actually expressing his feelings about the thing like hey i like i, I think concrete rose wasn't actually that bad you know so like you see him like learning how to like treat people better <laughs> like or like learn because like initially it's like oh yeah this is just how teen boys like th- they like tell each other oh this is how you get girls and stuff but like once you're actually doing it it's like oh no i have to do something else so like i think that seeing like the, pro- the like ha- the progression of how sage and Shizuku treat each other over the course of the movie from from antagonistic, but like not, but like believably like teen antagonistic, where it's just like a, a, a back and forth banter to like slowly understanding each other and finding common ground. Like that, that feels very well done. The the process of doing that and it makes it all the more rewarding once they finally get together. 
Yeah, there's a turning point when they just actually start talking to each other, and then they just instantly like connect. Um, I think negging is a is a strong word for this stupid teenage boy who uh, is 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 he's he's is, I I I think the movie is displaying this as like he's just doing what a lot of like kids do and tease their crush. Yeah, I think that's kind of like what he's doing. And and, um, and negging is admittedly a common thing for teen boys to to try. I, I think negging is like the adult like intentionally doing that, you know. But uh, the uh, yeah, I don't I mean, think not, I don't think it's Seiji, I don't stuff, think he's yeah. trying it. Like later when Shizuku's like. Like, oh, you made fun of me for the con- He's like, really? Did I? Like, it's he's, true. He he's didn't, barely like, aware realize of it. how upset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like, oh, I thought we were just like having a fun back and forth. Like, isn't that what, what kids do? <laughs> he's just, he's just kind of acting. Like, he's like, awkward. Nope. Yeah, um, but uh, it, it, it's it's pretty. Uh, Chizuku is the perfect character for him to tease because she is so crazy with her uh, displays of emotions and her focusing in on on those emotions. Um, but uh, it, I, I just I see that as kind of like yeah, it's it's a pretty realistic portrayal of how, of how kids would uh, kind of begin a, a sort of romantic interaction. But then there's yeah, there's the the turning point when they start to talk to each other and it and, and then they're like walk home to, together um, and talking to each other and and. And, you know, then Seiji goes away and there's the part of the movie when she's she's making um, her writing her novel um, and then the the ending scene when he returns and they watch the sunrise together. Um, that, that that bike scene where like she has to like get off and is like pushing pushing him off is like I'm not going to be no man's burden and uh, it's that. like uh, that that feels like the the encapsulation of like they want to help each other ra- rise together you know like yeah well you're yeah. talking about uh, very Miyazaki of course <laughs> yes on the nose metaphors the, the yeah. movie yeah. does a metaphor with uh, them pushing pushing up the hill at the end which is an encapsulation of the whole movie and uh, he, he's like. I, I decided I was gonna get you up this hill. She's like, I'm, I'm no man's burden. I'm, I want to contribute too, and and she helps uh, push them up. And it's like, okay, yeah, but yeah, uh, but I, I will talk. I can talk about that in the context of the film's feminism and stuff too. But um, talking about that ending scene, so let's talk about the ending of the movie. Uh, so we get Seiji comes back. Um, there is, uh, he says, uh, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead with going to Cremona, even though it's like different, which we learned earlier is he's gonna be there for 10 years is the plan. Uh, and 10 then he, years. he proposes to Shizuku. Um, yep. as they, as they watch the sunrise, gorgeous scene, some gorgeous ba- shots of that. Um, and, uh, he says he loves her at the end. Yeah. So. Uh, of note, let's talk about the dub of this movie. Um, oh boy! There, this the most significant changes I would say to the plot um, of any Ghibli movie this dub makes because we make two significant changes to the end. If you watch the dub, that might surprise you. What I just said, if you haven't watched the sub, in the dub, Seiji says instead of saying "I'm going to go ahead with going to Cremona," um, he says "I'm going to come back and finish high school first, and then." <laughs> yes go to Cremona afterwards and then instead of saying um, this may sound strange but will you marry me he says uh could you see us getting married someday right it's more open-ended yeah uh he does say he does, they do end on the same line of he loves her though um so in terms of these changes I mean it's it's a pretty striking ending both in terms of the they're gonna be together but not see each other for 10 years and in terms of the uh pr- the proposal when they're 14. It's it's understandable that they would uh, have the inclination to try to change this uh, because it's very culturally different than um, what you would expect here. However, I think uh, they they really dilute the the what they're going for with the ending with these changes, and they're really just like changing the end of the movie. 
which is not good. Um, but, but the dub, the dub honestly makes a lot of tiny changes in addition to these mm-hmm. big changes. Just almost every single thing is like slightly dead. I mean, there's when, um, Sagey's teasing her about the lunch, like, uh, in the, in the original, it's, uh, you know, you, that's, uh, you, that's a big lunch for you. And then, uh, he, the dub, it's like, oh, you're, you're going to eat that whole thing, you pig. Like, uh, just, just embellish, <laughs> just embellishes a lot of stuff. Like, they uh, also make, um, the guy friend, um, Sujimura, they make him like way more dense in the dub about what's going on. And he's only believably confused about it in the original <laughs> Japanese. I'll have to look out for that again. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 yeah. I mean, this, this movie goes a little far, I think, with the minor change. I would say everything they do is in spirit of the original, I would say. Like, I don't think they're really trying to do anything differently. Um, the ending is the biggest thing, because there's this, like, melancholiness of the ending that you're losing if he's not going away, um, I think. And, um, you know, just the commitment that Miyazaki is going for with the proposal at the end. Let's read what Miyazaki has to say about this. Um, <laughs> uh, thoughts? Oh, boy. Uh, this, I will say, I don't know if this, I, I've tried to find the source of this quote. This is from the Nausicaa.net FAQ, and I saw the source to a book, which I pulled another quote from, but they're yeah, really just, I, I, they're I've just definitely citing. heard this quote somewhere else before, too. <laughs> this, uh, regard, so I, I, I think it's probably true, but regardless, it is, it is what you'll hear about this movie. So it's worth mentioning because it's part of the dialogue. Um, but I will say it's not specific. I don't even found a real source for it. But um, supposedly Miyazaki says, I want to make a conclusion, a definitive sense of ending. Too many young people now are afraid of commitment <gasps> to stay on moratorium forever. I wanted those two to just commit to something, not just, we'll, well, we'll see what will happen. Whoa, whoa. I think well, that, hey. that sounds, I think that sounds like him. Uh, well, and, okay, and this is Grandpa in, in, Miyazaki, wow. This is the first, this is the start of curmudgeonly old yeah. Miyazaki that we get. Yeah, I this, mean, this I, I'll just say, Miyazaki, they don't need to, if you want a commitment, they've already committed to their passionate careers of their So, you, Michelle, you're not into they, the proposal they don't ending, it sounds to like. The marriage commitment to be committed to something in their lives. They've both already got that. Yeah, I mean, they're not really getting married. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they were. The, the, the way the way I, I compartmentalize it in my head is like, oh, they're going to be together forever. Isn't that sweet? And like, in the back of your head, it's like, well, in 10 years, like, who knows? They're going to be like totally different people. They might not care. But like right now, I'm in the moment. It's like, yeah, like <laughs> it's like the end. And it's like, yeah, we're going to we're going to love each other all the time. Yeah. But um, I also want to say um, that is an interesting thing to quote, because I feel like in the past couple of Miyazaki movie podcasts, we've talked about how like the ending has been left purposefully ambiguous. So this yeah. feels like kind of a turd, right? It's like, no, I don't want this to be ambiguous. And maybe that has to do with the fact that this is more of a, a, a story set in the real world as compared to like previous stories that are set in fantasy. It's, it's like, I want your imagination to run wild. Whereas here it's like, no, like I built up to something that would happen in real life and this is how it would go in real life. And, uh, you know, so like I, I just find it interesting, like the turn here compared to like what we've what some people have complained about with previous uh, Miyazaki movies. That's a good point about being realistic versus fantasy. Um, yeah, I think uh, Miyazaki, he makes his romance movie. He's like my ship. Uh, no, it's not open ended. They're getting married. That's it. The ship is canon. Like that's what he's, <laughs> that's what he's saying. 
Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it personally. Um, I think like if you're going to be apart from someone for 10 years, pres- uh, hopefully they'll visit each other at least at some points, but they'll write to each other. Sure. Um, you do need, I think you need some sense of commitment. I think that's what he's going for. You like, they're like, Oh, this is my fiance who I'm like never going to see for 10 years versus I'm like, it's, I don't know. Does it matter if they're fiance yeah. versus just like teenage boyfriend, girlfriend? Probably not. Pra- I don't think there's a practical difference, but it's more just like he, Miyazaki's talking about establishing this sense of commitment, which I do yeah. think is good for them and the situation that they're in probably um it is a very striking ending for american audiences if you're watching the the sub it probably makes a little more sense um but i I mean that that part feels very more like to the point of like usual traditional romances where it's just like happily ever after you know and like sure you can call it cheesy and i will i won't really dispute that (laughs) but like i think that this movie in particular earns it I, I look, I love it. How many romantic endings we've seen where we don't get any sort of a uh, wedding flash forward or proposal or, you know, like we get it. Whisper the heart, the ultimate ship. It's, it's happened. Um, no, I do think, like I said, I think it fits this commitment. I think it fits what we're going for with, with the themes of the end of the movie. And it is, it is, it is very Miyazaki. Um, I, I like it. Um, and that ending scene, just, just gorgeous. Like, uh, the, she, she's like, she sees him at the window. It's like, I thought I was dreaming. Um, and, uh, I love the the score behind that scene at then in general I want to say the score is just so magical um and in many senses it's like a score it, it's not a it's not a Miyazaki's usual partner not a Miyazaki directed me it's by Yuji Nomi is the score um and uh I, I feel like it's, at many points there's like a fantasy like score saw like yeah. tracks to just this this real life like of course there's the fantasy sequences and there's a correspondingly um like fantasy like score but there are these magical sweeping fantasy scores just a normal every day life i think it totally fits what the movie's going for but it um, also it, really fits with shiziku again that's how she kind of sees how the she world perceives around the world her. yeah exactly yeah. yeah like her her just her intense feeling and her sense of wonder and stuff it, it totally is representative of that i think uh the whisper the art score is definitely my favorite uh one of my favorite ghibli scores definitely my favorite um non uh you know uh non Miyazaki movie score um, and I think a lot of people consider this one of the best Ghibli scores too. It's, uh, I don't know if there's another, we'll, we'll see as we go through. I also loves, uh, uh, one of the later ones when we get to that movie, but, um, yeah, I, I was really missing the Hungarian themes in this one. Uh. Um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, uh, speaking of only yesterday, the Hungarian from, I should mention some of the cast members on, uh, on uh whisper of the hearts uh shizuku's voiced by yoko hona in the japanese who was the uh younger taiko in only yesterday oh and she kind of grew up with these movies she was about young taiko's age and now she's about shizuku's age in this movie um so i love that uh she's britney snow in the dub who uh love britney snow and she i love shizuku's english voice too um, yeah it's honestly a pretty good dub um, it's like a little more, a little more peppy, um, like a little more American, like what you'd expect, I think, from this type of character. I think it really works, though. Honestly, I love all the the voices um, is uh, in in the dub. I uh, love Ashley Tisdale as Yuko. Um, it's and, amazing. <laughs> it's so good. I, I think she's. I think she's really good as Yuko. She, she totally she's very much that like that friend who's like a little concerned about like her appearance and is like really interested in boys and like she's that friend and she does it so well <laughs> yeah yeah perfect for high school musical era <laughs> yeah that's that's the, the time period of the dub they did the dub like 10 years after the original as a disney dub um but uh yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the the dub in some ways, uh, some people have called this the worst Ghibli dub because they changed the most. 
um, oh, well. which I think is fair. But I think I think the, the voice voices are the the casting and the yeah. I think in, if that's important to you most of all, then I think it's one of the better ones. I would say. Um, but you know, regardless, it's an, you know, an important thing to me and, and me having watched well, the dub so many times. Well, while we're on the topic of the dub, I, I have not watched the dub in full, but the only part that I did want to go back for was the singing scene, uh, when, uh, when they're, uh, showing the violin and uh, the, uh, showing his, he can play the violin and like in the in the in the sub she's like uh, like you know i don't sing good i'm nervous and like you can tell like in the first couple of lines like she's kind of singing off tune whereas like in the dub she's like immediately singing like great you know like even though like her character just said i'm nervous so like, that's just like another one of those things where it's like uh you mentioned that the dub like changes a lot of little things without really like changing the full vibe and like that was one thing that I, that, that i noticed and like looking at the dub of that Look, Brittany Snow of Pitch Perfect cannot sing badly, so that was not going to happen. <laughs> Therefore, you're missing the point, but okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's definitely supposed to be like she's not like it's it's just the 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 feeling behind her singing and the experience of them playing together and singing together versus like she's a good singer. Um, yeah, that scene, I think that's my favorite scene, and then uh, and, and then Grandpa comes and the friends and they all play together. Um, it, it, it that's that's on the uh, the soundtrack but is the 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 violin version of country roads that plays let's talk about that aspect of the movie ah, um country the, roads <laughs> take, take me home country roads by john denver the uh english united states song is the pinnacle <laughs> song of this japanese movie um apparently the song was very popular in japan as well uh but uh it's it's definitely like you, you, if you've seen this movie a few times, you accept it and it's like normal, but this is a very weird striking aspect of Whisper of the Heart that is a, a framing device for the whole movie. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I think if you're going to explain this movie to someone who's not seen it, this is going to be one of the weirder things to try to have to explain. Um, but, uh, just the, the use of it, we, we hear the Olivia Newton-John version in the beginning of the song, and then we hear them play the violin version in that scene. We hear, um, Shizuku and Yuko sing it. Uh, it's it's like, uh, and then I think it plays at the end as well. Just a, a great recurring theme, I think, that fits the the tone of the movie. Uh- and I think that it's um, it's probably something that gets lost in translation. But I think that this also fits with uh, with with Shizuku like trying to find herself because like in the beginning of uh, like that first uh, mention of like her tra- translating that in itself is a thing that would get lost in the dub. Like the idea of like translating a song like you can't do that word for word in, in into your own language because like just the phrases just don't fit or make sense. So you have to like change the meaning sort of like by, by by default when you're translating a song. And so because of that, like there's she has like different takes of like how to do it. And she even has like a humorous take with, with concrete roads. But then like at, as the as the movie goes on, like she eventually figures out like a, a take on the song, which is like I, I kind of like miss the the old days. Like I'm, I'm like I'm longing for for something, you know. So like she she eventually like fi- finds uh, fi- finds a, a take for it and that kind of fits with her, the overall theme of like her like figuring out like how she wants to express herself cre- creatively and uh, it culminates with, with that like performance of her singing along with the violin and stuff it's like that that's just like the the joy of being able to to perform something that you that you finished you know but uh so so like 
uh, a, I think that all performances of Country Roads in this movie are good because Country Roads is a good song. But also, I think that it fits thematically with with the movie as well if you look deeper into it. Yeah, that's great. I love that point that uh, it's a hard to conceptualize thing watching this movie as an English speaker. She, yeah, Shizuku is, it seems like it's portrayed as she's writing like her own version of lyrics to the song, but in the beginning, she's just translating it into Japanese. Yeah. Um, not something you might even realize, I think, watching it. Um, and, you know, she's putting her own spin on it because inevitably there will be some spin on the translation as the dub of this movie shows that they will, <laughs> they will put their own oh. spin onto, <laughs> onto this. Yeah. I wonder if, uh, Meta is butchering the, the meaning of <laughs> the country roads what she is i don't think that makes sense the dub's 10 years after but uh no i, I think that's that's a great point alex um, in terms of the country roads i'm talking about the setting of this movie for it all this is the i it's, i got something new out of this movie upon 15th viewing which is this movie takes place in tama hills in western tokyo as uh, shizuku talks about in her country concrete roads parody um she says concrete roads over tama we talked last podcast in Pompoko, which has the same setting in Tama Hills, the Tama mm-hmm. Newtown development. Uh, Pompoko is all about how the consequences of what, uh, of the develop, the development and the urban sprawl into this mountain of Tama, uh, the, the Tama Hills. And now we see the, the human perspective of just people now living in this, this huge development project as hundreds of thousands of people live in this, this suburb of Tokyo. Um, and Shizuku, is uh actually for the most part it's portrayed like very positively this this community it's extremely magical i'll talk about that in a second but shizuku's um awareness of of course it's a ghibli movie we're going to be aware at least a little bit of the environment we've destroyed to get to this point and it's in concrete roads that uh she talks about it where she's saying there's concrete roads over tama it's 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 everywhere it's like that's the bad thing and it's it's like i think very much like how a young person conceptualizes the current state of our environment, maybe in like a very Gen Z way currently, just like kind of positively approaching, but aware of, uh, not like, you know, like aware of the, the realities of everything that's going on. She's like laughing about it and not like to belittle it, but to, to, to just process it, like the reality. But I never, I never really understood that was the, the kind of background behind Concrete Roads and the connection between Pompoko and, uh, Whisper of the Heart. In that, uh, you know, Shizuku is showing, um, kind of like her, her, her generation's awareness of the urban sprawl of, of the, the Tama Hills and, uh, like, uh, the, the realities of Tokyo, which is other, otherwise displayed as incredibly magical throughout the movie. Uh, uh, this definitely feels like Miyazaki being like, I gotta get something environmental in here. Come on, come on, let me do it. Uh, so like, this is like the only place that it really, really so isn't that incredible restraint from Miyazaki? This is the one place in the movie. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel, I I guess, feel like even it, even more so like the fact that this movie is so focused on making the city look beautiful, and it's like 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 almost like an awe of like, look how many like different uh, different parts of the town we can display. Uh, that that scene where like uh, um, Shizuku is like walk following the cat and like going through like the different alleys and the different roads and the hills you know it's like you remember from Pompoko it's like they raised the hills to build these cities but then you're like but look how beautiful everything is. I want to exactly. live there. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that, that's what's magical about the the first. I think this is the first great uh, Ghibli rewatch experience. I feel like we've had is the connection that we see the incredibly drastically different portrayal of the 
the development of Tama that uh, these two movies are portraying. Um, I think you need to watch them back to back to kind of get that experience. Um, and it's, 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 I, I do think like it is Miyazaki very much like putting his voice into this one specific part, but I think it's, it, for me, it's done very naturally through the way Shizuku is, is displaying, um, her, her under, her understanding of this and her parody lyrics. I think it's all like fits really well. Um, but yeah, th- we're, we're talking about the movies, uh, magical portrayal of uh this suburban part of japan um i think it's a big part for me uh of of this movie we've talked about it a lot already but i want to i want to like think of it through this lens we've we've been talking a lot on this series about how miyazaki generally more fantasy films that's kind of his uh his comfort zone and he uh portrays them in this incredible magical quality whereas takahata is a very grounded realistic uh approach and he um is is kind of like getting magic out of these these uh more realistic settings um i think it's interesting to look at whisper of the heart as a miyazaki influenced project that is more grounded um and he writes and storyboards this However, maybe the reason he's not directing it is because this isn't like his his maybe specialty and we get um, uh, Kondo's uh, spin on uh, how this setting, uh, this very, very realistic setting is kind of portrayed. And I think it's done in in a a way that to me, this is like the most magical Ghibli film outside of Spirited Away, like just the, the magic you get and the enchantment you get of the setting um is this is similar i think spirited away it's intensified a little bit but that's just kind of one of my main reactions to spirited away is that that just feeling of enchantment and i get that out of just this this real life setting and it's and they're not necessarily even embellishing um uh, I, I was reading the passage in the the anime art of Hayao Miyazaki by Danny Cavallaro, uh, um, who uh, she was talking about how everything they're displaying is very mundane um, and and kind of very boring in this this town. But that wasn't my reaction at all. It's like that anything's boring, but they're they're not like there's there's nothing fantastical happening. Um, uh, D- Danny says, nevertheless, Whisper has a unique and intriguing visual beauty of its own that does not depend exclusively on its undeniably luscious fantasy sequences, but also, no less importantly, on the animation's ability to make us perceive people and situations through the protagonist's eyes and in light of her contingent emotions. Most memorable in this respect is Shizuku's first sight of the elegantly peaceful residential development nestled at the top of the hill that she climbs in pursuit of an enigmatic feline commuter. This aesthetic and effective quality makes the movie both realistic and enthralling, weaving together in an unsentimental vein, ennui, annihilation, disappointment, and temerity. Um, I think, I think the following the cat scene is the best display of this magic, I would say. I also think one of the scenes I appreciate most of the very beginning, just Shizuku walking to school for the first time. I love that scene. Um, just similar kind of magic quality of Shizuku just embracing the world. And she's a lot of times she's like, wow, it's so hot out today. And she, she's just, she's so, uh, like feeling of everything and her environment around her. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's talk about that cat scene and also just moon the cat in general. I feel like Michelle will have some moon opinions. Um, but, uh, this, that, I think this scene to me is another really special one uh, when she's following the cat. It's a very long scene and then she eventually discovers the, the shop, um, the antique shop. Um, but, uh, just her, her reactions to the cat, she sees the cat on the train and it knows where to get off. I will say this is kind of like the one, like, uh, kind of fantasy element of the real life sections. Probably the cat does not, does not know how to ride the train. Um, 
in, Cat, in real cats life. Cats can ride trains. How yeah. dare you? It's, they I, they, tr- they try to make it realistic in that they, we see this landmark. We pan up to this, this sign. So it's like, oh, the cat sees the thing. It knows to get off at the next stop. Like, maybe. Yeah. M- Michelle, what's your, what's your thoughts on the cat, the cat chasing? What's your thoughts on the, the, the cat in, in Whisper? Is it, I assume Chonk will be involved in, in the opinions on Moon this. is Chonk. That's why his name is Moon, because he looks like a full moon <laughs> from behind, which is just the most endearing quality. Um, I mean, I think, uh, the cat chase scene is a great way of just showing that, yeah, like, Shizuku is great at finding an adventure in just like an everyday thing. It's like, yeah, there's these, there are parts of this town I've never seen before. And this cat could take me anywhere and let's see where this goes. And, oh, here's this cool antique store I've never seen before in part of town. And like, what's going on there? Who's this cool guy? And maybe I'll go back. It's like, yeah, it just, it makes everything seem so alive and exciting. And it kind of honestly feels like, the way Craig of the Creek treats just, you know, it's like I, yeah. on the one hand, it's like, oh, it's a creek. On the other hand, it's like, oh my gosh, it's a creek though. This creek could be <laughs> anything. I feel like that's how Shizuka really approaches a lot of exploring in her town. It's just like, oh my gosh, there's so much here I never knew about. And like the possibilities are so open and full of promise. I like yeah, that uh, sense of, of imagination and wonder she has in comparing it to Craig. I like that. Yeah, a couple of times she has like a like a line like, "Oh, I thought this was where my story was gonna begin," and then like later on she's like, "Oh, my story is starting." Like, like she she, she because again because of the established part of her character that she's really into fantasy books into like fairy tales, she sees she's seeing the world through through that prism, and so like that that help that helps to since the the movie does so well in putting us in her shoes, we can also like sort of see see the world that way and like buy along with like like her her wanderings leading to new discoveries you know yeah um shizuku's so extra yeah she's like uh, <laughs> it's the style i thought this was the start of my story yeah it's so good though um the the display of, uh, the, the display of tama i mean i think this is this can get you to fall in love with like tokyo and even suburban tokyo just the hilliness of it the 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 steep uh, the inclines and stuff they're displayed so incredibly through the the animation um i think very san francisco-y um and and how you mm-hmm. see it uh but just a, the, a lot of scenes of Shizuku descending a uh a steep incline and you see the multiple layers of uh of tama below her um just and- uh, i th- think that's a really enchanting aspect of tama that we see and even a couple of of scenes we get in like the main city, like uh, I re- they go to that that um that store, the corner store, a couple of times. Like it's just uh, like it's not it's you know everyday normal stuff. It's like sure I go to a Seven Eleven all the time, but like just like seeing it drawn so uh, so lovingly, like it. it I mean, it, it reminded me a little bit uh, of of the uh, um the weathering with you um stuff of Tokyo in terms of like you're you're just putting a lot of attention into like stuff that. You you'd see walking down the street every day and like that in itself is, is impressive just in terms of like how, 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 how they capture the vibe. Yeah. Mui's first she's Shizuka working, walking out of a family mart. So I love that. That's a big aspect <laughs> of uh, Japan. You use a lot of family marts and it could have been a Seven Eleven, Alex. There's a lot of those, but it was a family mart. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that that's a, the great uh, realisticness of the movie as well. Um yeah, I don't know. I just, I just want to emphasize, yeah, this magical quality that Whisper the Heart has to me. And, um, I think it's unparalleled in its capturing of mad, the magic of, the magic of every day. 
um, that I think a lot of movies try to do. And I think this is the most successful I've ever seen. Um, any, any, any other, what other characters haven't we talked about, um, yet? I mean, any other sagey thoughts? Uh, I think for the most part, we've, we've talked about him in relation to Shizuku. And that's kind of mostly how his character functions. <laughs> in, you know, I think that's Sh- a good Shizuku thing. Shizuku is our main character. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with Seiji being, being where he is. Michelle, what do you think of, uh, the Mr. Nishi, the, uh, Seiji's grandpa? He's the best. I love him. He he serves a really important role for Shizuku in that he is her creative mentor. And I feel like for a lot of professions, it's pretty important to have someone older who can kind of like give you the motivation and push to become better at your craft and to really hone your craft. And I feel like he's so, so good at knowing like he he wants her to do really well, but he also like sometimes like softens the flow of criticism because he knows how seriously she takes it and how like engulfed she gets um, when she's driven to write the book. Um, and I think like he's just like he's like the ultimate mentor grandpa. The ultimate mentor grandpa. No, he is he's so sweet and he has yeah. a backstory with uh, his long lost love and yeah. how it relates to the Baron statue. Um, which is serves as a basis for Shizuku's Whisper of the Heart novel. Um, and uh, I, I want to say I have my my Baron statue here that I got in Japan. So they're oh, big. Wow. I mentioned the <laughs> I mentioned the Ohm that I got in that podcast in the the Nasca one, but uh, it's a Baron music box, and it plays a music box version of Country Roads. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we're we're, we're missing stuff there. Isn't that it's, copyrighted? I, was, I mean, this movie, it's not like this movie unlicensed used Country Rose. They definitely paid for it and stuff. Uh, so I think they could use it on the merch if they pay for it. Oh, wow. It's official Ghibli merch. Yeah, I got it at the, the Ghibli, uh, official <laughs> Ghibli store. Um, I saw, I was like, uh, the Baron. And uh, like I was trying to talk to the sh- the person who didn't speak English. But was, was like, the Baron. I was like, the Baron. We're excited about Baron. the Baron. So <laughs> people, love, people love this movie, okay? <laughs> uh, I have a hot take. Uh, I don't think the fantasy sequences fit in this movie. Um, what do you mean fit? Like... This movie is so like we just talked about. Like it, it, this movie is focused about finding like the 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 whimsy in real life. It's a it's a much more grounded movie than a lot of uh, Miyazaki's previous work. So like when we shift to like seeing the that like there's it's one thing to know that Shizuku is working on a story, but then it's like we uh, we are gonna like take a detour to like look at the at like the fantasy that's going on inside her head and st- and like see it play out, you know. Like I, uh, this is probably just like a personal t- thing with me because like it felt very reminiscent of how I felt watching uh, Keep Your Hands Off Azuken, which is like this show that's very focused in like realistically explaining to you how animation works, but then it would it would detour into like showing you like the actual fantasy sequences going in their head for like a while. It's like no, I want to go back to like the the realistic environment that you have set for me for in the previous uh, the, the, uh, thir- the previous half of this movie. So like uh, it's. It, it's obviously animated well and the backgrounds are incredible. Like I know they're like painted by like a surrealist uh, painter, but like it, it, it looks great, but like, I feel that it's kind of dis- distracting. It doesn't quite fit with like the, the, the tone of the rest of the movie. Michelle, what do you think of the, the fantasy sequences? 
I think it's a little dependent maybe on how old you are when you watch the movie too because the first couple times I saw it I really liked the fantasy I got really into like the magic town and just like the flying like in a way like I don't know honestly like (laughs) I shared this but like Seiji seems like maybe a precursor to Howl in some aspects, mostly his design and his hair and his hip to shoulder ratio for sure. <laughs> now, like it's true, he's the hottest boy in that school, and that's on purpose, hundred um, percent. And the magic scenes kind of, in a way, also just remind me of like the obscene amount of colorful detail in some of the backgrounds we see later in Howl. I do not believe they had the rights to do that adaptation yet. I know they tried really hard for years and years to get Diana Wine Jones to agree to it, but I feel like the the fantasy kind of feels the same to me there. It's like it very much exists in like kind of a a book setting. It's so it's so colorful and so magical and people fly around and it's it's the peak kind of like escapist adventure which is exactly the kind of story you'd want to write as a kid and the exact kind of story you'd want to read like in young adult fiction i'd say like that's the kind of event you want to have when you're 14 so like for a 14 year old to write that makes perfect sense so i think it's very in keeping with her journey because like it's what she'd want to write yeah um alex mentioned the 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 fantasy sequences miyazaki collaborated with uh now he's Inoue, um, a surrealist fantasy artist in Japan, to make these incredible backgrounds incredible. in the fantasy. <laughs> Absolutely unnecessary for these like five minutes of fantasy shots we get. Um, it, it, there's the the detail in the uh, the arts on the fantasy sequences is completely disproportionate to the story that's happening in there. And I will say about the fantasy sequence, I don't think they're the draw to the movie for sure. Like what I'm saying is of the real, which is funny because like all, a lot of the trailers they cut for yes, this movie yes. are just from that scene. And the poster well, is kind of, of that, and they do the thumbnail they use is of her flying with the Baron in that dress. Yes. Like if that's your impression of what the movie's going to be, you're sorely mistaken. Right, and, they, and I think the synopsis the is like a, a, a mysterious cat brings together two artists. It's like I don't know, like the Baron mm, is not. That's that. kind of what happens. <laughs> I think they're referring to Moon, but it's so vague. You think they're talking about the Baron? <laughs> like Moon, yeah, Moon does bring. Yeah, Moon together. has a bigger role. Together. Moon is important, and they do the spinoff. It's focusing on the fantasy stuff. I think the fa- here's how I see the fantasy sequence. They are totally representations of Shizuku, and that's why they fit. There's Shizuku's emotions displayed. There's Shizuku, the story she's writing, and her drive displayed. We see kind of two sequences of. Uh, this this presentation of the book she's writing and we kind of get an, an insight into the creative process she's going through what she's kind of making through them we also see a dream sequence of what she's feeling and the stress and uh, uh of like the process she's going through that's kind of separate from the fantasy sequences that and that's like a third non-realistic sequence we see and then we see a fourth um stylized sequence of the retelling of uh of the the saga of the real life Baron uh, that that the, the grandpa uh, tells. Um, I mean, I think it's very restrained use of non the non real life setting. Um, I mean, I can totally see not connecting with them as much as the rest of the movie. I feel that way too. Uh, but I do think that they, uh, for me, they fit really well with what we're doing with Shizuku and her artistic endeavors at that point in the movie. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about the the Baron and the fantasy. Yeah, this is a good segue into all the the mythology of the movie. 
Um, how about other characters that we talked about? Uh, Yuko. Well, we and... haven't really talked about the family yet. So do we yeah. Want to... Well, any other thoughts on Yuko and Sujimura? We have a whole subplot of the love triangle that uh, we have with uh, with Shizuku, which I think is probably one of the slightly weaker parts of the movie. Um, but it's I, I see it in service of Shizuku's experiences, as we've talked about. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's nice seeing, like, what she's going through with her friends and, uh, all the, the love drama that happens there. And it's, it's, it's all just an insight into her being down on herself for, like, criticizing other people of like, things and she's not aware of things. And it's, like, all part of kind of this transition into finding herself, I think. Um, I, I, I like how it's all done. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Love, love triangle thoughts. No, no Sujimura uh, thoughts. Just, just in general with, with Yuka and, and Sujimura, I think it's just important to like give Shizuku like other other facets of her personality. Like, hey, like she hangs out with other people. She has like a fully developed life. It's not, it's not like she's just a nerd who just l- reads books. Like she she she's got a functioning social life. It's kind of like that, but also she has other. Yeah, she has she has other things happening. Um, my favorite uh, Shizuku school life scene. Um, it ties into another topic I want to talk about, but is uh, she is uh, Yuko and then these uh, two other friends or three other friends, and they sit uh, in the teachers' room and eating mm-hmm. lunch. And I think that's an incredible scene of these these girls and then their female teacher. And they start off talking about like, oh, you have a love interest. But then Shizuku's like, oh, here's my lyrics. And uh, we're going to go over the lyrics. And they love uh, Shizuku's lyrics. Um, I think that's such a wonderful, wonderful scene. And uh, I think that's a big display of kind of the movie's brand of feminism. Just in general, Shok is focusing on Shizuku so much and her journey. And then I think the other kind of key feminist line is I'm no man's burden at the end, as we've talked about. Um, you know, so but... on the nose. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure. Uh, and sure. Shizuku, you know, she's falling in love but it's through it's it's through her own finding of herself and it's she's wants her her drive and her supporting of each other as like that's why this is like an appealing love to her um and i think that is kind of a very um feminist female centric perspective on this love story that this movie brings um the shizuku's family i I mean we've we've talked that a little bit so we see um her mom, who's going to school, her dad, who works at the library. And I think uh, because of those two things, accordingly, they don't seem to have a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, the older well, sister. Not who just that. Is- just like I, again, like I feel like I, I missed all this as like a kid. But like now, like having my own place, I was so struck by how cram packed full yeah. of stuff their apartment is which implies like a lot like they own a lot of positions they don't have a lot of room like shizuku is they sharing share a room. bunk bed mm-hmm. with her like college age sister like it, it's clearly a very small place that they own together and it's it's drawn in such loving detail i think if they ever made this like a live action it would feel kind of like a hoarder's den and it's not their fault they just don't have enough room for their stuff well, or they'd give them is. a much a much fancier apartment because like it's a movie, but, that misses the, the, but no. that misses the point, right? Apparently, we are getting a live action sequel to Whisper of the Heart. We won't see this the year. we won't see the parents' apartment. We'll just flash forward to Shizuku in college. Then that's true. Wow. We yeah, we might just see her in college or something. Um, yeah, and yeah, the sister and the sister is going to move out, um, and we see Shizuku in relation to to all of them. I think the key scene with the parents and the sister is when. So she, the the mom gets called in. Shizuku's great. She dropped a hundred places. Very Japanese, like the class ranking. Um, but uh, the so they're kind of confronting her. Like you're at your desk. You're doing. You're not like uh, 
to go going out there screwing around outside but yeah. uh, what's uh, but what's going on and Shizuku's uh, I'm not gonna I don't want to say but this is important and the parents say uh okay if it's important to you do that but uh you know like go going off the beaten path might not be easy um this struck me as the parents being incredibly supportive yeah this time incredibly supportive and it struck me too that maybe the reason why Shizuku does not confess to what the project she's working on is is actually because she's afraid if she gives them the firm example of writing that they'll come back to that and say like oh like i don't know that's a good idea so like the less they know maybe the better and the fact that it's obscure maybe they're more able to lend support because they don't know specifically what it is yeah i think i think they'd be supportive is right i mean i think shizuku's parents come across as wonderful oh they do but i'm saying like from shizuku's perspective yeah i think she might think that "Mm, maybe the less they know the better for me and so i can just do it without them pushing back yeah it's such and it's such a personal journey for her the only one she's even willing to remotely share it with is is the the grandpa um yeah and that's like after she's done with everything um but i don't know that just that scene of the parents like saying like okay yeah this is it's just it's just such a like wholesome supportive parents uh, type of thing that we really rarely see i think i think um, part of it too is like so the dad he's in the library a lot also and he sees how often shizuku's in there doing research on stuff so i think i think he kind of gets that like something's going on and then she's taking something very seriously and like you said like they know she's not like going around like you know like joining a gang or yeah. something <laughs> so like we don't know what she's doing but everything we've seen indicates that it's important to her and it's like totally fine so we'll just you know i think she's like earned their trust too that they're willing to they're not like just supportive they like trust her yeah and the parents are that themselves are very i think not like very but like realized characters and we understand their struggles and how shizuku is like exasperated with everyone but still loves them and other we see them being supportive in the end um and it's just not none of that even takes up a lot of time in the movie yeah, I, I also appreciate just like the atmosphere it builds of like every time we cut to the house, it feels like there's a different combination of people. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it's just it's just Shizuku, sometimes Shizuku and the sister, sometimes the mo- the dad is there but the mom isn't. Sometimes the mom is there and the dad isn't. And it's just like it feels like it's like it, it feels like a living household where it's just like everybody has different schedules. Like not everyone is always at home. Like every time that I go home at night, like that's not how. I mean, some families might work that. That, but not all families work like that. So I just again, like that's another point to like this movie is uh, realism. Like just like yeah, like fam- every time you go to the house, stuff might change. That's just how life goes. Yeah, and a realistic display of like a working class family. Yeah, um, with the sister, well, I just random thing, but the the line of the dub I always remember when uh, she throws the le- the letter down <laughs> yeah. to uh, Shizuku's like it's a love letter, isn't it? It's uh, so iconic. Is, right, you too. I, that to me is the one line I remember of the dub it's, always. It's so good. In the in the sub, it's uh, oh your boyfriend, but your boyfriend. Uh, yeah. yeah, so then you know she has a boyfriend. You don't know that in the dub. I mean, I think I think she's teasing her. I don't know if she knows she has a boyfriend. It's like oh, you're writing your boyfriend, huh? Um, oh, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, again, like it's a little change, but that I think that's a good change for the. But I don't know. It's all again in the spirit. But yeah, that, that, that's. I uh, love yeah, Shizuku's family. So many good supporting characters too, and um, uh, the 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 two uh, 
friends of uh of grandpa who who play with them I apparently are voiced by uh that that uh, background artist who we talked about uh before uh, oh, in cool. a cameo and then also Toshio Suzuki the famed Ghibli producer makes a cameo as uh as one of the as one of his friends um so it's cool to see Toshio in there um think we've mostly talked about everything i'd written down i also want to mention in terms of animation influences we know this is rebecca sugar's favorite movie and uh the fantasy sequences start with uh the character saying i'm on a quest to find the lapis lazuli um so uh-huh. <laughs> you know i think probably it's a big place where rebecca's getting her <laughs> her love of the, the gemstones and stuff from uh oh my God. <laughs> Whisper the Heart is proto Steven Universe. Didn't you know that? It's uh, it's very similar, right? I think there's probably some similarities. Um, other, other things in that intro Rebecca mentions the animation. She mentions like this the multiplane shots with layers of city panning at different rates to create depth. Um, I kind of alluded to this, but I think those shots are incredible. Crowd shots, intricate crowd shots, like props that are like part of and things that animated like props that are part of just like don't even move or anything. It's the intricacy of the animation. And then the character acting with totally of Shizuku is some of the best uh, expressions, animation of expressions I've ever seen. Um, yeah. So just the, the animation is, like I said, I just think this is genuinely one of the most gorgeously animated movies ever. It's definitely immersive in that in that way, and that just like helps to make everything like feel more more like put you in in Shizuku's shoes. Like the the one shot I, I remember is like her like running down the stairs, but like it's from a first person view, so like you're seeing the 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 blur the blur of the city like slowly move as she's walking down walking down, and so like the, the stuff stuff like that it it really helps uh, put put you in there. And just with regards to the multi plane shot. So if you haven't seen Owen Dennis's uh, video on multiplane animation, you should check that out. That just came out from Comic-Con this weekend, and he does a good job of explaining what that is. So uh, go, go, go find that. to this uh, conversation. Yeah, okay. I think that's good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we, we've, we've covered what I had in the outline. Michelle, are there other uh, topics or aspects of the movie that we haven't talked about you want to talk about? Nope. Uh, Alex, anything? Uh, I I think I'm trying to think. It, it, like, Whisper of the Heart is a thing that just has so much so much stuff in it. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's other scenes no, we haven't mentioned for sure, but yeah, but I I think we've covered like the 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 major major themes. I touched on the song translation, which is a thing that I personally connected to. Uh, so yeah, and just like in general, just like knowing that like Kondo kind of like was kind of this protege, and uh, uh, for for Miyazaki, like it feels like it kind of fits in with this with this story too. Like Grandpa being like, hey, like look, uh, I. But by the way, do we know? that like the collection of books is that grandpa or is that someone else in in sage's family uh what collection uh, oh the i, the I think that's the, the i think that's the the father he's walking with in the school that's how i interpret that is is that sage's dad is uh, oh okay okay the scene when shizuku switches emotions on a dime is like i'm gonna be determined not give him the satisfaction and walk past him right, like, right uh, that, good yeah. good good scene for shizuku but yeah i mean uh, in the 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 relationship between the grandpa grandpa and and she's Zuko also feel like maybe that's how like Miyazaki treated Kondo, right? It's like, hey, look, I'm giving you this chance to make this movie, and like with with help, you can make something great. And hey, Whisper of the Heart happened. Isn't isn't that wonderful? Too bad we didn't get like uh, to see like the progression of that. But like it, for for a debut uh, and for only feature, this is like a, a a heck of a way to to keep your name in the record books. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, also, you know, Miyazaki being uh, Takahata's protege, I think that could play into that as well. Um, early on in Miyazaki's career, taken under Takahata's wing. Um, could some, maybe some influences into Miyazaki writing that part. Um, okay, I think I think that basically covers it. I was like, wow, we we talked really succinctly about everything in this part. No, it's ninety minutes, so okay. But uh, we, we, I thought I thought that was the short version of everything we could have talked. about. Uh, I'll, I'll say like when I rewatched, I was like, oh, this movie's two hours. I don't remember it being that long, but like uh, it it breezes by. So like it's one of those movies that like you wouldn't have guessed it's two hours after having watched it, but like it packs a lot in and keeps moving through. So uh, I hope our podcast was the equivalent of that. I hope so. I I think sometimes it feels long this movie because, like I said, some scenes are very slow paced. Um, so I think depending on your mood when you're watching it, uh, it's uh, you know the 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 cat scene I think can be can be pretty long, but I lo- love that scene. Um, yeah, and- it's it's unfortunate we have two cat lovers on here, so we're gonna praise that scene no matter what. Uh, I wonder what a cat hater would think about that. Well, we had uh, Yugo's family little tiny poodle as the dog representation. Super cute uh, dog that the mom's holding for five seconds. Okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah, just just like Yugo's room is like so detailedly (laughs) animated and we're not there very long. But uh, that that, that was really good too, that that part of them talking. Okay, well, let us know uh, what your thoughts on our Whisper of the Heart conversation. Find all the ways to contact us at OverlyAnimated.com. Um, you can, or you can support us at Patreon at patreon.com slash overly animated. Thanks to our current patrons, especially our patron of the podcast, Hope. And thanks as always to our patron executive producers, Ryan, Steve, Alex, Beatrice, Hugh, Michael, Needle, and Phonician. Next up, it is one of the big ones in Princess Mononoke. We're finally into the... The big two, uh, separated by my neighbor, the Yamadas. But, um, <laughs> big three. No. The big three. <laughs> the big three. I haven't seen that movie in 12 years. We'll see what I think. <laughs> not, not, uh, Mononoke, though. So we're excited. Dive into Mononoke. This is a big one for me, too, though. This is kind of the high point of the, we're about to turn the corner on Ghibli once we get past Spirited Away. But, um, not that the movies aren't great after as well, but we, we've been on such a tear of incredible iconic movies here. Which I think this movie included. Yeah, so Pop, excited! Polko, the most iconic movie. Whisper the Look, heart. As I said last podcast, I think that's up there. So I think all <laughs> of them. I mean, also Ocean Waves. We also talked about Ocean Waves. Um, but uh, the, the true one of the most influential and greatest of Miyazaki's movies, Mononoke, next week. So we'll see you guys then for that. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.